You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Our scripture reading this morning in view of the celebration of the Lord's Supper is taken from Isaiah chapter 53. And there we read the word of our God as follows. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shears is silent. So he did not open his mouth. By oppressions and judgment he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of my people, He was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his deaths. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper In his hand, after the suffering of his people, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, or by his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong. Because he poured out his life unto death, and numbered and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Our text this morning comes from the second part of verse 2. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Beloved congregation of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, we have come together this morning to worship the Lord our God, to listen to his word, as well as to celebrate the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. Yes, and as we do so, it is only natural that our hearts and minds should be busy reflecting on our Savior, on his very unique person, as well as on his redeeming work. After all, our Savior is the central figure, not only in our salvation, 
but also in our celebration. But how shall we do that and what shall we use to reflect upon him? What is, in other words, the basis for our reflection? Shall we turn to one of the Gospels as we've done so often or shall we turn to one of the letters of Paul, Peter, or John? Of course, we can do all of that. But this morning, I propose to do something else. Let us approach our Savior from out of the perspective that we have for us and have received in the Old Testament. And then, of course, it has to be admitted that the Old Testament is not nearly as revealing about him as the New Testament is. By and large, the Old Testament tends to speak prophetically. And that means it doesn't always speak with the same kind of clarity and precision as the New Testament. But still, in having said that, we have to admit at the same time that that may not be completely true as a statement. For there are passages in the Old Testament that speak about our Savior in very unique ways. Sometimes we find light there that we do not find in the Old Testament. And where in the Old Testament am I thinking of? Well, I think that the clearest illustration of this may well be found in the 53rd chapter of the prophecies of Isaiah. In that particular chapter, we have God's revelation in its most startling form about the work and the redeeming task of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And if you wonder what words I'm speaking of, well, for openers, and there are more of them, but for openers, look, for example, at the second part of verse 2, where the prophet Isaiah says he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. I offer that these are rather startling words. And they tell us some unusual things about our Savior. But of course you may wonder what does that have to do with this supper here this morning. Well, before we answer that, let's look for a moment at the larger context. What we need to realize is that this particular expression or expressions that we find in the second verse find their way in Isaiah 53. And Isaiah 53 is really the fourth and the last of a series of servant songs. The first servant song can be found in Isaiah 42, the second in Isaiah 49, the third in Isaiah 50, and the fourth and last one here in Isaiah 53. And as such, you can say all four of these songs speak about the coming of God's special servant who will deliver his people and atone for their sins. But how will he accomplish that? How will he do it? Well, the answer for that is especially then in this fourth and last song, in the one that we have here in Isaiah 53. And beloved, when you look at Isaiah 53, you will note that when the Messiah comes, when the suffering servant of the Lord comes, he will 
come and he will deliver his people, not by ordering others to spring into action for them, not by sending and commanding an army to deliver them. No, deliverance comes about because of what he himself is going to do. Deliverance is very much going to be his specialty, his work, his task, and his task alone. And if you ask what kind of work that will be, well, it's very much wrapped up in that one word, suffering. His suffering, his personal pain, his deep agony, his terrible torment, his atoning death will bring about the deliverance of his people. That's why Isaiah repeatedly calls him the suffering servant of the Lord. And of course that in turn brings out other questions. In what way will he suffer? How will he suffer? When will he suffer? What will he suffer? Well, Isaiah says his suffering is going to be multidimensional. He'll have many sides, many shades, many aspects to it. Yes, and one of those aspects now is found here in the second part of verse 2. Isaiah says when the Messiah comes, he will possess no beauty, no majesty at all. There will be nothing in his appearance that would cause us to desire him. There is no form or splendor to him, in other words. Now think about that for a moment. Isn't that strange? You're the greatest person in the world that's going to come down to earth and and there is no external clue, as it were, to who he really is and what he will really do. You know, humanly speaking, we people, we expect our heroes, our conquerors, our deliverers to be imposing and impressive, handsome and attractive. If you read the newspapers these days, you see appearance today, image, externals, that's almost everything. So when the Savior of the world comes, we expect him to be strong. We expect him to be well-voiced. We expect him to be handsome. We expect him to be tall. Charisma. That's what leadership, we are told, is all about. He steps into a room and he makes the women swoon. And the men rise up and follow him. But Isaiah says, when the Messiah comes, there's going to be none of that. This greatest of all messianic saving figures will not be an imposing one. He will not come across in any kind of majestic way. And notice Isaiah even says there will be nothing in his appearance that will make him stand out. In other words, you can get rid of all those children Bibles and all those 
videos and movies that make him look so very handsome and magnetic and dashing. Because they're all going to be far from the mark. Isaiah says there's not a thing in his external outward appearance that will single him out as unique or different or extraordinary. And if you met him on the street, you'd pass him by because you wouldn't be struck at all by his appearance. And why is that so? Why does God allow it to be so? Why does he not ensure that when his son Jesus Christ comes, he will come as the most sublime specimen of humanity? Because that's really what he is, isn't it? Well, the answer is, beloved, that all of this would not be in keeping with the task and mission of the Son of God. For Christ didn't come to be the darling of the masses. Neither did he come to be the matinee idol for all the Jewish ladies. He came to serve. He came on a mission. He came to give his life as a ransom for many. The emphasis should be placed not on what he looks like, but on what he will do. And beloved, isn't that what the Apostle Paul was getting at too? He says to the Philippian believers that Christ Jesus made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. All the stress, all the emphasis, all the, the, the importance is not on his appearance, but on the work of this servant, of what he will do for us. So as we celebrate the Lord's Supper together this morning, Here's one more dimension to the work of Christ that we need to consider. And you can also look at the larger picture, beloved. The larger picture. And larger picture is, of course, that before he came to earth, he was in heaven. He was there with his father. He was there in all the heavenly splendor and glory. Paul says he was there as God. He dwelt in light. He was resplendent in majesty. He was great and wondrous to behold. But then he agreed to come down, to come down to our world and to our life. And he left it all behind. All the power, the glory, the splendor, the majesty. He became a servant in everything, in word, and indeed, and even, even in looks. Why well, he did this in order that we who have been made really ugly by sin could be transformed and made really beautiful by God. 
He did this in order that we who are now weak and vulnerable might be raised up, renewed, and remade. The Savior who had no beauty makes it his life's work to make his people beautiful indeed. On how we need to praise and thank him for that. Yes, and we we need to realize as well that our Lord who came as a servant is an insignificant servant today, of course, no longer. He came from glory. He went to humiliation. He is back ascended into glory. He's with his Father in heaven, and there he is beautiful again. And now he has an appearance that is absolutely stunning, even unnerving. Read, for example, along with me, the first chapter of the book of Revelation, where it describes Jesus Christ today and tomorrow. And there John writes, I turn to see the voice that was speaking to me, verse 12. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, And with a golden sash around his chest, his head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. And out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. In this life, beloved, you would have walked past him noticing nothing. When he comes again in power and glory, you will be like John, lying at his feet, worshipping the great majesty. Truly, as we celebrate this supper together this morning, realize a little of what the Savior has done For you and for I. And what he is today at the right hand of his Father in heaven. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.